Hey, very good morning to all of you who are tuning in to the Rock Church Squamish's Facebook live streaming of our Sunday morning service. Uh, we trust that you are doing well wherever you're at this morning. And uh, I would like to just firstly extend a, a big welcome to any of you who are tuning in for the first time. Uh, you are very welcome here at the Rock Church Squamish, and we want to encourage you to make use of the online platform and the, the chat function that you will see there on Facebook Live to, yeah, introduce yourself. Uh, we will have someone there from the Rock Church who can interact with you and connect with you. And yeah, we would just like to get to know you a little bit better. Uh, as all of you very well know, we have been preaching through the gospel according to Luke. And we are about two-thirds through Luke, and we are making great progress, and uh, we're really enjoying to see what God is doing through this series called The Skeptic's Gospel, so that we may have certainty about who Jesus Christ is. And as you will see in today's text, it is just amazing to see how faithful God is and has always been as this text is just speaking so much into our culture and into our current situation that we're experiencing with COVID-19. And it is for us such an encouragement because once again, you're at the Rock Church. It is emphasizing the fact that we believe that this book, the Bible, which consists out of 66 different books, varying from different genres, and being written by various authors was inspired, of course, by the Holy Spirit, and that it is the infallible Word of God. And, and once again, I believe we will see it out of today's text that we're going to read. Not only do we believe that here at the Rock Church, but we also see that it has been proven over millennia that this book, the Bible, is like no other book. It is the best-selling book of all time. But together with that, it is also the most hated book of all time. No other book has been banned from so many places and so many countries like the Bible. And no other book has ever been confiscated as much as the Bible. And the main reason we believe that is, is because the Bible has for millennia, with pinpoint accuracy, been able to show us who God is and what He has come to do for us through Jesus Christ in order to answer life's biggest questions. And that is what we're going to see today. We're going to see out of today's passage that there is a big question that all of us have to wrestle with. Hence why I have entitled today's message, The Purpose of Suffering. You see, the issue of pain and suffering is something that all people have to encounter and will face at some point of their lives. One of the world's leading philosophers and Christian apologists William Lane Craig writes in his book, Hard Questions, Real Answers, and I quote him, he says, Undoubtedly the greatest intellectual obstacle 
to believe in God for both the Christian and the non-Christian is the so-called problem of evil. That is to say, it seems unbelievable that if an all-powerful and all-loving God exists, He would permit so much pain and suffering in the world. The author and writer C.S. Lewis simply describes the problem of pain like this. He says, if God were good, He would wish to make His creatures perfectly happy, and if God were almighty, He would be able to do what He wished. But the creatures are not happy, therefore God lacks either goodness or power or both. So with these two quotes in mind and this issue of pain and suffering in mind, it should not surprise us that we find ourselves in a situation again and in a point in time where the issue of suffering and pain is really something all of us are currently wrestling with and have to grapple with. The biggest question that comes to mind for us in situations like this with COVID-19, where we see that over 200,000 deaths have occurred now over a time span of five months, is the question of why. What is the purpose? Why is this happening? And as I said before, I believe that in today's text, we might perhaps get an answer to that question and see that there could be a bigger purpose to the issue of suffering and pain. So for that, we're going to turn to the Bible, and I'm going to ask that we go to Luke 17, verses 11 to 19. And I will read to us. It says there, On the way to Jerusalem, he, and this is Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them When he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give God praise or give praise to God? Accept the foreigner. And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Let's just pray before we carry on in looking at this text. Yeah, Father God, we thank you uh, for your word. And we thank you that your word is truth. And Lord, we thank you for this word that was inspired by your spirit. And uh, it is because of that that we come and ask for your help. We come and ask, Holy Spirit, come and help me to, yeah, to explain what 
what you're saying through this text, Lord, because these are your words. Um, Lord, I pray that, yeah, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be uh, found acceptable in your sight. And um, I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, so this morning's message title, as I said, is The Purpose of Suffering. And what I'm hoping to show us out of today's text are perhaps three purposes that we can get out of this scripture that will help us answer the question of why is suffering necessary? So the first one is that suffering is a catalyst for mercy. The second one, suffering relieved leads to gratefulness. And then thirdly, suffering can grow saving faith. Let's have a look at the first purpose of suffering that I'm pointing out here. Suffering as a catalyst for mercy. If we look at verses 11 to 13, we see the following. It says there, On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. So, first off, I want to tell you that since Luke 10, we have been reading about how Jesus was preaching and teaching the good news of the kingdom of God throughout the region of Galilee. And now he was making his way towards Jerusalem, and he was setting his sight up to Jerusalem for the purpose that he knew that that is where he had to fulfill his ministry by dying on the cross. Now, we first started off in Galilee, and, and Galilee was the region where Jesus basically came from. Nazareth was his hometown. And Galilee was sort of regarded as being in the sticks, or the boonies, if we might call it that. It was similar to how we here in the lower mainland or closer to Vancouver, how many of us look at the northern part of BC and we say, Listen, is there anything really worth seeing beyond hope or further than Pemberton? Those of us that come from northern BC, from Houston, Vanderhoof, Prince George, or any of those towns, we would know what I mean by that. But that is what Galilee was. Galilee and that region was not regarded as really being worth something or that anything good could come out of that region. So Jesus was moving from that region then towards Jerusalem, which was the spiritual hub, the, the religious and political epicenter of Israel. But he had to travel through Samaria. Now, the historical backdrop then of Samaria is this. After the nation of Israel, as we read about this nation in the Old Testament and in the book of Genesis and Exodus... After this nation was in slavery for 400 years in Egypt, they were set free by God to go and occupy the land of Canaan, which was the promised land. It was the area, the land that was promised to Israel's founding father, Abraham. And so after Israel had settled in the land of Canaan, they were ruled by various kings. Some kid, uh, kings were fantastic, like David and Solomon. 
And after that were a couple of good kings. But then after that, the political figures started worshipping idols and started leading the people of Israel astray. And so eventually we see in the nation of Israel and in their history that there is moral decay that happened. And around the time of 930 BC, there was a split in the kingdom. There was division. The kingdom of Israel was split into a northern part and a southern part where 10 of the 12 tribes were now part of the northern kingdom and two tribes in the, su- in the south. And so what had happened then after that was that both these kingdoms still carried on in their sin, even though God had sent various prophets and messengers to them, up to the point that both of these kingdoms were taken over by foreign nations. Now, the northern kingdom had Samaria as their capital. And around 722 BC, the northern kingdom was taken over by the Assyrian Empire. And what had happened was the the people of the northern kingdom of Israel were carried away in exile. But then the Assyrian Empire brought foreigners into the northern kingdom to occupy that land, to resettle in that land. And so what had happened was, in that period of time, with all of these foreigners coming, they brought in their worship, they brought in their rituals, they brought in their idolatry, even to the extent that there was infant sacrifices And of course, the people of Israel started adopting those practices. Many Israelites that were still in the northern kingdom and those that returned from exile intermarried with these foreigners and they were mixed in with these foreigners. And of course, it led to even more moral decay. The southern kingdom, there was was a group of Israelites that eventually resettled and and were brought back. And so they were able to rebuild the temple and the worship of their God was reinstated. But ever since that point in time, there was enmity between the two regions, between the south and then the northern or middle part, which was Samaria. And that was the backdrop of this situation. And As Jesus is traveling through Samaria, he realizes this. He knows this. It's it's not the first time that he is in Samaria. He had been there before. He had tried to preach the gospel there before, and, and they had rejected him. And so he is back here again. And he knows that they are actually regarded as half breeds or hybrid Israelites. And so for him to be encountering anyone and speaking to any people in Samaria is very odd. But that is where he is at. And we know that Jesus makes his way towards Jerusalem. And by this time, while he is in Samaria, the news of his teachings and of his healings had now spread. 
And so when he encounters these ten lepers, their response isn't so shocking. If we look at their response, it says, He entered the village, and these ten lepers stood at a distance, and they lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, the reason why they respond in this way is because they are familiar with the fact that Jesus of Nazareth has been preaching and teaching in Galilee. He has been performing the specific miracles that would point towards the fact that the Messiah has come. Previously, I've spoken about these miracles, but there were four big messianic miracles that showed that if a person was able to perform them, that that was indicative of the fact that he was the Messiah, the anointed one of God. Those miracles included healing someone who was born blind, casting a mute and a dumb demon from someone, raising a person from the dead, and then lastly, healing a person who suffered from leprosy. And so, it is because of this backdrop that we then also see the ten lepers respond to Jesus and why they call out to him, Master, have mercy on us. And of course, this is not the first time that Jesus has come across the path of a leper. In Luke 5, verse 12 to 16, we read of how Jesus encountered a leper who fell at his feet the leper begged for healing, and Jesus healed him and commanded him there as well that he needed to go and present himself to the priests. And this was, of course, in correlation with the law of Moses that was given in Leviticus 13 and 14, where it stipulates that when someone had a defiling skin disease such as leprosy, and they were healed after a specific period of time, they had to be inspected by the priests. The priests would then finally declare them as clean before they were then allowed back into worship and, and to perform their cleansing rituals. But it is because of that also specifically we read in Luke 15 that it says, or sorry, uh, Luke 5, it says there, but now even more the report about him went abroad. And great crowds gathered to hear him. So the ten lepers respond because of that. They knew Jesus was able to heal them. And their usage of the, the title master, they call out to him, Jesus master, indicates that they weren't just seeing Jesus as a good teacher or a good person, but that he had the authority and the supernatural ability to heal. Now, we've got to understand that these men were living in social isolation to the extreme, okay? We are experiencing currently social distancing. Some of us have taken it to the extreme of isolation and even quarantine, but listen, these people, these ten lepers, they were experiencing something way worse than we are currently experiencing. What in actual fact would happen in that situation is 
in accordance with Leviticus 13 and 14, if someone had a defiling skin disease, they would have to live outside the camp. They would have to be outside of community, away from family, friends, away from the temple. They would not be able to worship. And then even worse than that, they would have to wear clothes that are torn. They would have to have their hair unkempt. And they would have to walk around having their faces, the bottom of their their faces covered, almost like us with our masks. And they would have to then shout, unclean, unclean, as they are walking around. I got to say, if we are walking here in the streets of Squamish and you're standing outside the the uh, post office or, uh, or at Save on Foods in the queue, sometimes it feels like people are treating us in that way. You know, you're, you don't even have leprosy and you don't even have COVID-19, but we treat each other as if we're all unclean. So, you know, can you just imagine that kind of suffering that these people were going through? Other symptoms of leprosy was, of course, that their bodies would decay. Limbs would fall off. Their skin would be raw. And then they would lose all sense of pain. Their nerve system would not function properly. So... It was an extreme um, disease leading them to suffer not just physically in their health, but socially. So for these lepers, this was, this was an extreme exclusion. Together with that, there would of course be a lot of blood perhaps involved because they would lose any sense of feeling and so if there were any lacerations or cuts or bumps and bruises, they wouldn't even notice it. So it was quite a messy situation and, and that's why they had to be outside of the camp because it was also a very contagious disease. Now listen up. They were treated like objects. But this led to a desire on their part to seek mercy. You see, their suffering was as a result of this disease. And the fact that they were now excluded from community, excluded from worship, And they were unable to really experience God's presence. Very similarly to how we are now currently not being able to gather together as God's people. But it led them to desire mercy. The suffering that they were going through, this extreme suffering, was a catalyst for mercy. And thus they cry out to Jesus because they know that it is only through God's power that they can be healed. 
And so that is the first purpose that we can see out of this text, what suffering can do. But then the second point, what happens when suffering is relieved? What happens when we then eventually get breakthrough or healing? Or when COVID-19 eventually is overcome and we get a vaccine? In this situation, we see it leads to gratefulness. Let's read there verses 14 to 17. It says, When he saw them, this is Jesus, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And they went, and as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? So we see all of these lepers, all 10 of them, follow Jesus' command. Jesus says, listen, I hear you. You're crying out for mercy. Go show yourself to the priests in accordance with the law of Moses. So they respond in faith. And it says, as they went, they were cleansed. As they went, they were healed. Now the question is, in the end, why is there only one who turns back? Why is there only one who comes to thank Jesus? And how did he know that he was healed? Well, as I'd mentioned before, there were certain symptoms, of course, related to the illness and to the disease. So it could have happened that all of a sudden, as they were going along on their way to the priests, they realized that, hey, all of a sudden I've, I feel something. I can actually feel my body again. The numbness is gone. Or, miraculously, limbs that were not there previously grew back or any wounds recovered instantaneously. We're not sure. We, we just know from the, the text that they were healed and that that one person, that one leper, immediately realized that he had been healed. But in the end, why? Why only that one person? Why only a Samaritan, as it points, is pointed out by the text? I believe that it implies that the other nine were then not Samaritans, but that they must have, in fact, have been Israelites. Jesus' surprised response when he asks, listen, was there no one found, no one found to give praise to God except for this foreigner? I believe it, it indicates to us that 
there was only one foreigner amongst the ten. And the irony of the situation is that while these lepers were outcasts, and while they had the disease, they were all foreigners. The Samaritan, together with the nine Israelites, were actually then all foreigners because of their disease. They were all experiencing the same rejection from society because of their disease. So there was no distinction between them. The Samaritan, who was actually the outsider and the half-breed amongst them, was for that period of time good enough that the other nine were hanging out with him. And so they had known what it meant to suffer because of this disease and, as I stated before, because of the social, the social system and, and the regulations that prohibited them then from interacting with other people and in the temple. For the Samaritan, this social exclusion and rejection would not have been new. He was used to this. He would have been accustomed to being regarded as a half-breed and not a real Israelite. And so the question then remains, why, why then still did the other nine not come and give thanks to Jesus? If they were Israelites... Why did they not turn to him? It does not explicitly tell us this in the text, but I was thinking about this, and I want to submit to you that there could have been perhaps two thoughts that crossed their mind. Firstly, they were healed. They called out to Jesus. They knew he had the power to heal them. And they were healed. This was a messianic miracle. So in other words, they realized and must have realized that this healing could only have been done by God. But having heard of Jesus and knowing what his teachings were, they would have then realized what it would mean for them if they actually had to turn back and acknowledge Jesus as Messiah and as Lord. You see, Jesus had been teaching about the goodness of the kingdom of God, but he had specifically been teaching what it looked like to actually follow God and being a disciple of him. Jesus demanded full obedience, not not half-hearted obedience or worship. Jesus was teaching hard lessons such as in order to follow him, one had to hate mother, father, brother, sister, children, possessions. In fact, your own life. The irony is that that is what they were experiencing in their current condition when they had the disease. And so the question was, 
Now they were healed. But if they were to turn back to Jesus and acknowledge Him as Lord and Savior, it wouldn't really change their social situation. Because as we know, on this side of the cross, and as we look at the gospel message and, and the lives of the disciples of Jesus, in the end, they were the ones who were the outcasts by following Jesus. And so that was my first thought, thinking perhaps that's a reason why they did not turn to Jesus. Once again, I say it's not stated in the text, but it's something to consider. Secondly, <coughs> excuse me, if they went to their priests and they were declared as clean and they were then allowed to perform their ceremonial uh, washings and cleansing rituals and sacrifices so that they could then be incorporated back into society and then be able to worship God through the temple, it, it meant that they were then allowed back to the old life that they had before leprosy. Now, we're not sure what that looked like, but it could have been that they also considered their old life and that that old life for them was perhaps more important than going back and giving thanks to God. But whatever it was, we're not entirely sure. It doesn't say that in the text. But it is worth considering. But we do see that the Samaritan's response is the kind of response that Jesus requires. It is gratefulness. And so, that response leads us then to the last purpose that I want to indicate here to us of suffering. Suffering can grow saving faith. It says there in verse 19, And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. You see, the Samaritan was on his way together with the other nine lepers to do what Jesus told them to do according to the law of Moses. He experienced healing, physical healing. But in that moment, he realized it's only God who can cleanse me of leprosy, turned back to Jesus, 180 degrees, back to Jesus, and he's grateful and he give, gives thanks and he, and he praises God. And his response then is out of faith. Even though all 10 lepers showed faith, to receive the physical healing, we see that this kind of healing that the Samaritan leper experiences is different. The phrase made you well here in the ESV translation, I believe, is not the greatest translation. And I'm going to read to you what the New King James Version says. It says, And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith 
hath made thee whole. What does it mean to be made whole? You see, wholeness is not just about physical healing because the Bible teaches we are not just physical. We are not just matter. But that we have a body, a mind, and a soul. And the soul refers to our spirit. It, it refers to that part of our lives that is eternal. And so when Jesus says that this man had been made whole or made well, he is bringing in the fact that now indeed this man had been physically healed from the disease of leprosy. But most importantly, the greatest healing that any person needs had occurred. And that is the healing of the relationship between man and God. You see, the Greek word used in this context for made whole or for made well is sodezo, and it means to save or rescue, and it is principally used to denote God rescuing believers from the penalty of sin. And that is why Jesus then responds in this way and says, well, this is unbelievable that it's only this foreigner who would turn back to me. Because in the end, he was the only one who was willing to submit and surrender his life fully to Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one to be king. Now, this is all very well. And we would have to ask ourselves now here at the end and concluding what does this mean for us? And I want to ask us all this question. You know, who are we in the story? It is clear who God is. It is clear what He does. But who are we? You know, so many occasions previously I've read this story and encounter Jesus had with the ten lepers and I'm honest when I say I very quickly judge the nine lepers who did not turn back to Jesus. And I think to myself, well, I would never be like that. And I very quickly identify with the Samaritan leper and I would say, yeah, that's me. But may I suggest to us this morning that we're in actual fact, we are all ten lepers. We are the ten lepers in this manner. That nine out of ten times, we would do the same and react in the same way as the nine lepers that did not turn back to God. I can look back at my life and I can recount many occasions in which God had come through for me, in which He had rescued me, He had saved me, He had provided for me. 
but I had not surrendered my life fully in obedience to him. And I want to say we're like the Samaritan leper that one out of ten times we will then actually come and be at that place that we acknowledge what God has done for us and accept his mercy. But other than that fact, I want to say that we are all lepers. We all have leprosy in the sense that we are all infected with a very infectious disease called sin. You, you see, just like the lepers who were outcasts because of their leprosy, they were cast out of the presence of God through temple worship and out of God's community, so too we, if we stay in the state of unrepentant sin, are cast away from God. There is a separation that comes between us and God. And not only God, but God's people. And what that means is, is we are outside of true, loving community and family. Just like the lepers' bodies were experiencing decay and numbness, so also our bodies experiences decay and in the end, we will die because of sin. Because we are promised and told this in the Bible that the wages of sin is death. But there is good news here for us today. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. You see, not only was Jesus able to heal these lepers from their physical illness, but he was able to save the Samaritan leper because he and he only put his faith in Jesus. Not only was Jesus able to do that then, but he is still able to do that here today for us. Today in your current situation of suffering and pain and whatever it is, whether it be because of the COVID-19 situation that you're either out of work, or it could be a family situation, it could be death, it could be illness. But Jesus is standing and he is waiting for you to either call out for mercy or not. Because you see, Jesus came to restore our exclusion from God and exclusion from his presence. He came to restore that through being the perfect atoning sacrifice for the sins of mankind on the cross of Calvary. He went through excruciating pain and suffering. And the Bible says that he is able to empathize with our sufferings because of that. And he also gives us this hope that not only will we be reconnected with God through our souls, but also we will receive new bodies when we are finally reunited with Him, either through our death or through His second coming. As another preacher puts it, 
Only Jesus Christ gives us the hope for suffering in pain because of the fact that if you trust in him, just like the Samaritan leper, this life and the suffering and pain we experience now here on earth will be the closest that we will ever get to hell. But if you choose to stay dead in your sins and not repent and turn to Him, then everything we experience now on this earth will be the closest you will ever get to heaven. Now friends, this is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is very good news for pain and suffering. Because it means there is hope. Finally, I want to bring you back to the opening statement I made about pain and suffering being one of the major reasons why people reject God. And I want to submit and suggest that perhaps we need to change our mind and way of thinking regarding suffering and pain. Listen to C.S. Lewis, who states, God whispers in our pleasures, he speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. The question I want to leave you with, and also perhaps give you a suggestion of, of what our response could be, is the following you know, what is, what is God shouting to us through our current suffering and pain? Perhaps it's something along the line of this. Turn back to me and trust me. I pray that if you have not done it before, that you will place your faith and trust in Jesus today. And if you have already done that and you are a child of God because of your faith in the work of Jesus on the cross and not only his blood being shed for your sins but also through his resurrection, then I want to encourage you to rejoice in that today and in his goodness and his faithfulness. I'm just going to end for us here then with prayer before the worship team will come and lead us in a final closing song or two. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you once again for how good you are. We thank you for your word that washes us and cleanses us and uh, Lord, by your spirit, just illuminates to us your truth. And so, Father, we come and, and once again want to come and acknowledge that we desperately need your mercy. We desperately need your grace in our times of suffering. Lord, there are many of us that are currently experiencing extreme suffering. And I pray and ask Jesus, come and meet people in that place. Father, come and hear the cry of your children as we cry out to you for relief. And Father, I pray that 
our relief will turn into praise and gratefulness and thanks and, and Lord, and a response in faith. And, and I pray that, Lord, you will do a mighty work in those who still do not trust in you. And I thank you for that. Father, we, we continue to pray for our current situation with, with COVID-19. We come and ask, let your kingdom come and your will be done, Lord, here in us and on earth as it is in heaven and, and through this. And Father, I pray that you will use this time to call many people back to you. And I thank you that I can ask that, Lord. And I pray a blessing over your people, a blessing over us in this coming week. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.